If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up. We're going to be in four different places today, but go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're continuing our series on I Love My Church. And over the last four weeks, we've talked about why we love our church. We talked about our church being a biblical church. We talked about our church being like family. We talked about our church being a missional church. And we also talked about our church being a praying church. And so today we're going to talk about the topic, my church is relevant. My church is relevant. You might say, what do you mean my church is relevant? That should be obvious. That's why we're here. Well, we are in a day and age where it is proven to be more and more, or at least thought to be more and more irrelevant. There are a lot of people out there that are saying, well, we don't really need church. And, and let's be honest, now that we've made it available to where everything's online, a lot of people say, well, we can just do church online now, or we can just watch church on television. I'm telling you, we, we provide that for those that are in health issues and can't really get here. We provide that because sometimes people get sick. But let's be honest, there is nothing like being in the house of God to worship God. There's nothing like it. You can watch this service online, but you can't feel what we just felt while the praise and worship was going on. It just can't happen. You also don't get to see beautiful things like what happened last week when two young people came to know the Lord. You don't get to feel like what happened on Wednesday night when another young man came to know the Lord. It's exciting when you see these things happening. And here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, you know, we provided, and, and the problem, here's the issue that I've got. We provided again for those that can't get out. We understand those are the ones that realize that people are having to bring them groceries and they're having to wear masks wherever they go and things like that. We understand that. But let's be honest. If you can go to a restaurant, you can come to church. If you can go to Walmart, you can come to church. If you can go on vacation, you can come to church. It's that simple. And the reason why a lot of people are saying, well, COVID, COVID, COVID. I am so sick of that excuse. Let's just be honest. It has become the new excuse for a lot of people. Please understand, I'm not saying the virus isn't real. It's real. Okay? I know a lot of people have had it. It's real. But it's also becoming a real big excuse. It's becoming a point where, and let me tell you something. I'm having Thanksgiving with my family, and I'm going to have more than six or eight. Okay? But here's the thing that I want you to understand. When it comes to church, we are, we're making it to a point where people feel like it's not relevant any longer. We don't have to go. But I'm here to tell you, when you miss like what happened in worship, when you miss like what happened last Sunday, when you miss what happened on Wednesday, when you miss those things, let me just tell you something. You really miss church. It's not the same. It is not the same unless you are here. Church is, get this, more relevant today than it ever has been. We need church more today than we've ever needed it before because we need the strength that comes from one another to stand up against the things that are going on in this world. We need each other. Church is absolutely relevant. Well, today we're going to talk about four steps in order for church to become relevant in a time where many believe it to be irrelevant. So we begin in 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to begin in verses 19 to 23. And what we're going to see here is that relevancy means meeting people where they are in order to take them where they need to be. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 19 through 23. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. 
And under the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I have made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Now, these scriptures a lot of times are misunderstood because what Paul is basically trying to say here is we have to be relevant and meet people where they are to take them to where they need to be. Now, here's what he says. I love this in verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all. All. Now, this is the idea here of what's called a bond servant. This is found in Exodus. In the book of Exodus, a bond servant was one who was a servant who has been freed from their servitude, but because of their love for their master, they say, you know what? I will go forego my freedom. I still want to be your slave, and they become a bond servant. In fact, what happened to a bond servant is they would take this awl, which was like a large nail, and they would pierce it through their ear. Pierce it through their ear to a doorpost to show that that servant had become a bondservant to their master. Paul is calling himself a bondservant. I am pierced through. That's why in Galatians he made the statement, I am crucified with Christ. I have been pierced through for the cause of Christ. And here's what he says. I am free, but I have made myself a slave to all men. In other words, Paul's desire was to see every man, woman, and child saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how would he do that? Well, he gives you kind of his idea in verse 20. And under the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Now, a lot of people look at that and say, well, wait a minute. Paul was, Paul was a Jew. He was Jewish. And so, therefore, he was a Jew so he could reach the Jews. What Paul was basically saying there is, is I would meet them on their grounds in order to reach them. Now, there was something that happened in the book of Acts that is mind-blowing that a lot of people miss the concept of. Paul took Timothy, and he had Timothy circumcised. Now, Timothy was a half-Jew, and he was a half-Gentile. So he would be called, in a lot of ways, a Samaritan, a mixed breed. And so here's Timothy. He's half-Jewish, half-Gentile, where he's not been circumcised. And Paul says, you know what? In order for us to reach the Jews, in order for there not to be any hindrance, in order for you to be able to have a difference and make a difference in their lives, let's circumcise you, not to say that you're a Jew, not to say that you're any more important, not to say that your salvation is wrapped up in circumcision, but so that you might not have a hindrance and you might reach the Jews. Paul would do things like that in order to reach them. In fact, he even took a group to pay their funds to pay for them that had made a sacrifice that had given the Nazarite vow to pay for them in the book of Acts. For what reason? In order to reach the Jewish nation. When Paul would go into a city, the first place he would go was to the temple. He'd go into the tabernacle. He'd go into those places and he would meet with them in their synagogues and try to reach out to all the Jewish people of that land. Then he would move on to the Gentiles. Paul wanted to make sure he reached all people with the gospel of Christ. And that's why in verse 21 he says, to them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. In other words, he says, I want to reach the Gentiles. They don't have the law. They're not under the law. But in order to reach them, I've got to meet them where they are. I've got to meet them, not try to say, well, you've got to follow like us. You've got to become a Jew. You've got to, you've got to adhere to all the law. You've got to be circumcised. You've got... He says, I want to meet them where they're at and take them where they need to be. And he said, even to the weak, I became like the weak. Now, here's the thing. 
You think about this when it comes to your witness. In my first church, there was a, a gentleman that I prayed for for years and years and years. His name was Charlie Wilson. Uh, one of the ladies that sang on our praise team, it was her husband. She had prayed for so many years for her husband. And I said, Lord, I want to be able to reach Charlie. I want to be able to speak to him. I want to be able to witness to him. How can I meet Charlie where he's at? And the reason being is, as I told her, I said, I want to come to your house, and I want to visit, and I want to talk to Charlie. And she said, she said John, if you come in the front door, he will go out the back door. He's just that way. He doesn't. If preachers come in the house, he's jetting out the other side of the house. It's just the way it's going to be. And I started thinking, well, how can I meet this man where he's at? How how can I meet him? Because he knows I'm the pastor. So when I would see him out, I started learning what he liked. He liked NASCAR. And he liked Mark Martin. So guess what? I had never watched NASCAR a day in my life. I started watching NASCAR. I started watching cars do circle and circle and circle and circle and circle. I watched it, and I watched it for years. Why? Because when I would see Charlie, I would make sure that I would talk to him about NASCAR and Mark Martin in hopes that it would lead to being able to get to the gospel because he finally started talking to me. You see, you got to meet people where they are. It reminds me of Acts chapter 8 when Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch and he was on the journey and he met, him in the, he met him in the chariot. And inside the chariot, he was reading the book of Isaiah. And what he said was, do you know who this guy's talking about? And you know what? You know what Philip could have done? Philip could have said, yeah, let me tell you about what Jesus and what he just did. No, what Philip did was he took him from the book of Isaiah and he moved him to the Gospels. You see, you got to take people where they are and bring them to where they need to be. That's what makes things relevant. Here's the thing. We are living in a day and age where people are asking all kinds of questions. I had a, a great question that came to me Wednesday. A young lady came up and was speaking to me, and she said, she said I want to know your opinion on gods, plural. And I thought, you know what? We're living in a very pragmatic generation. We're living in a generation of polytheism where they believe in many gods. They want to believe that every god is okay. And I was able to take her from right where she was. And I said this. I said, look, I've studied all the major religions. I've studied all of them. And one thing I can tell you is simply this. Those are religions. Ours is a relationship. In those religions, you have to work to make your appeasement with God. But in our relationship with Jesus Christ, he worked to make our appeasement to God. He took care of us. He showed us. He, I took her from where she was to where she needed to be. And we've got to do that. That's what makes it relevant. The Word of God is still relevant today. You don't have to go to a church that everything is contemporary and every, you gotta, and, and the guy gets up there in his blue jeans and his polo shirt and he preaches to you in his ripped jeans and he's got to be relevant because he's got to look like you, right? You don't have to do that to be relevant. The Word of God doesn't have to be relevant by preaching generic messages. Preach the Word in season and out of season. It's relevant to everyday life at every moment of time. And it can take people from where they are to where they need to be. That's what makes church relevant. Or we end up with a lot of Willow Creek people. You know, it's interesting that the pastor there, Bill Hybels, was the founder of the Seeker-Friendly Services. And he came out in a magazine not even maybe five, ten years ago, and he made the statement on there. He said, we have people a mile wide, but they're only an inch deep. Let me tell you something. That's not what you want. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're an inch deep, you're like the house that was built on the sifting sands. You will fall because you don't have the truth. 
We need to be relevant to this generation. And the Word of God, I promise you, is extremely relevant. Number two, relevancy means meeting people's physical needs in order to meet their spiritual needs. Turn with me to John chapter 6. Relevancy means meeting people's physical needs in order to meet their spiritual needs. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. John 6 Beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them. And they were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain. And there he sat with his disciples in the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remaineth over and above unto them that had eaten. Isn't it amazing? You sit back a lot of times when we read that story and we say, well, what does that have to do with relevancy? Well, let's just be honest. If somebody's hungry, all they can think about is food. Some of you are probably doing that right now, right? You're like, it's getting close to lunch. I'm getting a little hungry. But that's the truth. When people are in a physical need, their spiritual needs take a back seat. They do. It happens all the time. What we have to do as a people of believers, we have to show them genuine and true love. If you want to know what that genuine and true love looks like, uh, John in the epistle of 1 John explains exactly what that love looks like through the example of Jesus and then through believers. He says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So he showed his love by his actions, by giving his life for us. Now listen to verse 17. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? In other words, we can't say we love this world if we are unwilling to show compassion and meet their needs. You want to know why I love the blanket ministry for the homeless? We're meeting a need. But let me tell you something. We're meeting a physical need in order to try to meet a spiritual need. We do those things for what reason? Because here's the truth. If they don't think we love them or care for them, and all we're trying to do is shove the gospel down their throat without meeting their intentional needs, we're not really showing them love. Love has compassion in a sense that says, if my brother is in need, I will even give him the coat off of my back that he might not go cold. We do everything we can to be relevant to a people. Jesus said, these people are hungry, let's feed them. And they go, well, we don't have anything. We don't have anything. Can I tell you something? That's the way a lot of people in the church look. I don't have anything to help them out. Can I tell you, God will supply your need to supply for them. 
I promise you, I have seen people that have given from themselves and they have given to those that are in need and God has supplied for them and given back to them more than they gave to help another in need. That's the truth of the matter. It is meeting people's physical needs in order to meet their spiritual needs. You know what happens at the end of John 6? Jesus goes into a huge message telling them that he is the bread of life. Yeah, I fed you physical bread. Now I want to share with you the spiritual bread. Now I want to show you the main lesson. I want to give you more more than what you think you need. I want to give you above and beyond. I love the way Jesus reached out to all of these people. You know that when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6 verses 17 to 19, before he even preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was healing the sick, casting out demons, and meeting physical needs. After he met their physical needs, he then preached the greatest sermon ever known, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus would always meet their needs. You know, when Jesus sent the 12 out in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, as he sent them out, he sent them under the house of Israel. He said, but go do this. Go heal the lame, make the blind see, cast out the demons. Freely it has been given unto you, freely give. In other words, go meet their needs so that you can then point them to the Savior. That was the whole purpose. In the book of Acts chapter 4, the early church, verses 32 to 35, many men were there. They were selling their land. They were selling things they didn't need. And they said, whoever has need, give it to them, and then let's give them the gospel. They were seeing multitudes of multitudes of multitudes of people come to know Christ because they were meeting their physical needs. You see, that's what we're called to do in order to be relevant. Now, here's the thing. You can meet somebody's physical needs without ever going to the spiritual, and that's not what we need to do. There are a lot of organizations out there that you can give stuff to, but if, it doesn't, if it's not attached to the spiritual, you're just wasting your efforts. You really are. The truth is, is we've got to be involved where our desire is to meet their needs in order to meet their spiritual needs. We want to see everybody, I hope you're with me on this, everybody know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Every single person. And that means we must be relevant. Number three, relevancy means getting dirty in order to help people get clean. Turn with me to John 8. Turn with me to John 8. I, I love this story. Oftentimes it's looked at in the wrong manner. But I want us to look at this in John 8 beginning in verse 1. Relevancy means getting dirty in order to help people get clean. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they saw unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You say, well, what do you mean we got to get dirty in order to get clean? Here, here's the, the truth of the matter. Are you ready for this? You're all a bunch of sinners. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Okay? 
We're all a bunch of sinners. And so often people say, well, would you want people who have a different sexuality than you to come to church? Absolutely. Would you want people that come in off the streets to come to church with you? The answer is absolutely. Would you want people that steal come into the church? The answer is absolutely. Would you want people that just don't believe like you believe coming into the church? The answer is absolutely. The church is a hospital for the sick, not a country club for the healthy. We are absolutely a genuine place. And here's the thing. The world expects us to be like the Pharisees. That when sinners come into the church, all we want to do is condemn them, tell them they're dirty, tell them they're unclean, and they don't belong here. We want to judge you. We want to cast you out. We want to get rid of you because you're not like us. Let me tell you something. They are like us. They are absolutely like us. We just have gotten a little bit cleaner, but we're still a little bit dirty. The truth is, is we got to come to the reality of who we are. We're nothing special. We are simply sinners saved by the grace of God, and we are no better than anybody else in this world. So you better believe we've got to be willing to get dirty, which means we've got to come to the truth of who we are. Man, if a sinner comes into the church, praise God. People come to the altar and get right with God, praise God. Because the truth of the matter is we probably all ought to come to the altar and get right with God. This lady was caught. I mean, caught red-handed. Now, what's interesting is, where's the dude? (laughs) That's called a setup if there's ever been one. And they wanted to tempt Jesus. They wanted to see where he was at. Isn't it awesome that he just stoops down and he starts writing in the dirt? Now, we have no idea what he starts writing. I could bet you he probably wrote out their sins. Liars, hypocrites, jerks. (laughs) Right? Who knows? He may have even wrote out the guy's name because he knew who it was. There's no telling what he wrote in the dirt, but they kept pressing him and pressing him and pressing him. And they're like, we want an answer. We want a stoner. And man, he looks up and he says something that's very important. And I promise you, the next time you want to condemn somebody, please think about this first. Please remember the words of Jesus first. Let him who was without sin cast the first stone. You know what's funny is it says the oldest ones dropped it first. The more mature ones dropped it first because they were going, whew, I got a long list. I got to go. Right? Isn't it interesting that it took a while before the others left, but finally there was nobody left there. Why? They, they had to come to the realization of their own dirt. The truth of the matter is, is we don't, we don't he, he doesn't just let the past go. Please understand that. Jesus doesn't look at it and go, well, it's okay. You can sin. You can live how you want to do. What's he say? He says, he says, is that, where are your condemners? And there's nobody still here. And he goes, well, neither do I condemn you. But he does say this, go and sin no more. You see, in church, for us to be relevant, we have to have the heart of Jesus. Where we accept people where they are, but we try to help them get past that to where God wants them to be. You see, that's the gospel The gospel is taking people from where they are to where they need to be, as we talked about in the first point. But it also means taking them from the dirt, accepting them where they're at in their dirt, but helping them realize their need to be clean. Jesus showed such relevance. Isn't it amazing the people that Jesus hung out with? I love it in Matthew 9. Matthew, the tax collector, throws a party, and it's a bunch of, what, tax collectors and sinners. And somebody asks him, says, well, what are you doing among all these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus goes, do the healthy need a doctor? 
I love it in Matthew uh, or in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is sitting down at a Pharisee's table and he's sitting there to eat and this woman from the street comes in and she comes in and she anoints his feet with oil and she wipes it with her tears and the oil and with her hair and she, she bawls and she kisses on his feet and Simon, the guy that invited Jesus in, goes, well, if he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't even let her touch him. Isn't that the way a lot of Christians are? Man, if you knew who that woman was, you wouldn't even speak to her. Man, if you knew what that guy did last week, you wouldn't even talk to him. Christians shouldn't be associated with that. No, here's what we need to be associated with. We need to be associated with those people, but we need to help them get things right in their life in a non-condemning way. That's relevancy. Jesus didn't condemn her. In fact, what he does is he's able to teach that Pharisee a lesson about forgiveness. And he said, think about this. A guy owed 50, another guy owed 500. Who do you, and both debts were forgiven. Who would love him more? And he said, well, I guess the one that was forgiven 500. He goes, exactly. This woman has been forgiven much, therefore she loves much. In other words, what he was looking at Simon going, you're the guy that's not very thankful for what you've been forgiven. He was able to teach a great lesson. I love Jesus meeting the woman at the well in John chapter 4, don't you? <laughs> the disciples come up and they're like, what's he doing talking to this woman? He meets her right there at her knees. Isn't it amazing? Now, here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, wait a minute. Didn't he tell her about her sin? He did. He did. But at first he was trying to teach her something. He was trying to bring her to a point. She tried to take it another route. He was talking to her about giving her living water. And she goes, well, yeah, I know that uh, your fathers and our fathers, we worship differently. And because of that, Jesus goes, okay, I got to bring her back on point. And he goes, uh, he goes how about you bring your husband here? She goes, I have no husband. He goes, that's right. You've had five and the one you're living with right now isn't your husband. Dude, could you imagine being hit with that like a ton of bricks? You know, he knows my sin. He must have saw it on Facebook. Right? <laughs> but you think about it. Jesus met her where she was. He didn't try to condemn her. He tried to bring her along, and she ended up getting saved. Why? Because he didn't try to do it in a condemning manner. One of the worst things we can do a lot of times is go to people and we're like, you're going to hell. That's, that's not a good place to start. A good place to start is, you know what, we've all sinned. You, me, everybody, we've all failed. We've all fallen short, but God made a way for you and me. It's not about condemning. It's about showing them the truth with compassion and love. That's the relevancy of the gospel. It means we get dirty in order to help people get clean. Number four, relevancy means serving others in order to serve God. Look with me in Matthew 25. I'll make this one brief. Matthew 25, serving others in order to serve God. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. I'm not going to read the whole story, but we're going to read a part of it. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was and hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee hungry, stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee and the king shall answer and say unto them verily I say unto you inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren you have done it unto me you realize you can serve God by serving others 
Jesus made a statement that is absolutely mind-blowing in Mark 10, 44. If you want to be first, you must be slave of all. Who would think of a slave as being first? You would think of them being last. In fact, there were many times where Jesus used terms like that. He who wants to be first will be last. He who is last will be first. He would always make statements like that to show us that the goal of us as Christians is to serve others. It's about being genuine in our beliefs and being like Christ. One of my favorite examples, of course, is Jesus in John chapter 13 where he got down and he washed the disciples' feet. He took the lowest job on himself to wash the disciples' feet. For what reason? To show them humility that the Christian life is about serving each other. It's about serving our community. It's about making a difference in this world by serving them, by showing them the love of Christ, not just in words, but in action. You know, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus made a statement. He said, to give a cup of cold water under one of my brethren is like giving it unto me. You want to serve the Lord. So often people think that it requires something high and mighty, but the truth is, is it just requires you being obedient to God and doing what he's called you to do. It's something as simple as bringing in a shoebox. We're serving the Lord. It's something as simple as bringing in a blanket. is serving the Lord. It's something as simple as getting involved in some ministry in serving the Lord. It's about, and it's not always about being at the top. Trust me, that's not the most important thing. I can tell you, I'm not going to receive any more precious items or gifts than you are. You realize that, right? I just get a stricter judgment. Did you know that? That's what happens to people who lead. They get stricter judgment. Why? Because I will account for how I led this church. And the only thing I want to do is lead you to follow the truth of the gospel and share it with everybody in our community and all over the world. You see, a church being relevant is not about being relevant in the way we dress. It's not about being relevant and making sure that everything applies without ever getting to the biblical content of it. Being relevant means just simply being real. Being real about who you are and real about helping those in need. Being real about getting to the point of sharing the gospel. Being real about your own story. You see, that's what it means to be a relevant church. You know what? I love Hillcrest because we are a relevant church. We are absolutely relevant because we are doing things in our community. We are trying to show love wherever we go. And the amazing thing is, is you guys know what dirty sinners you are. And we love on anybody that comes in through these doors. Why? Because that's who we're supposed to be. That is absolutely who we are supposed to be. That's what makes us relevant. The question is, is how more relevant can we become? We can become more relevant as every single one of us in here. Not just the church in general, but every single one of us in here does our part. And we find our place to serve, our place to help, our place to give. And we relevantly share the gospel with our community. I hope you're in it. I hope you're ready. Because I promise you, when we become the relevant church like we need to be, we won't be able to keep people out of here. When they recognize that we love them for who they are. But just like God, we won't leave them that way. He'll clean them up. He'll change them. And we leave that in his hands, not ours.